26 to 20 of chapter 4. Correct. 1132. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could, not, if you could have done so, you would have turned out, your, turned out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I am with you, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we ask that you would help us, help us to hear what you have in uh, saying to us in your word, help me to be clear, uh, keep us on track. Lord, direct me and keep me from error, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 
as you we uh i can't remember if this is our third or fourth i can't remember how many we've done in galatians but as we've gone along i keep inflicting on you uh, australian colloquialisms and today is no exception i probably have to apologize for that but anyway today is true blue it actually goes from chapter 3 verse 1 to 420 and we didn't quite read all that up until now paul has insisted that a his gospel this good news that he brings is law free and that it came by direct revelation and he makes the point he didn't rely on anyone for it because he got it from god particularly independent from people in jerusalem that's important because uh, there are people there who are saying they're from Jerusalem and they are opposing him. Secondly, uh, though he is independent, he is not different. Uh, the apostles in Jerusalem agreed with his good news gospel message that it was law-free and was for all, for the Gentiles, uh, which is pro probably you and I. Paul has opponents, as we said, uh, and he's making three points, uh, really, as he spelled out in the rest of this letter. One, Christ's death and resurrection ends the law. Two, God's grace is everything. It comes by faith. Three, we are alive by the Spirit. We died to ourselves. We were raised in Christ. And now we live in the power of God's spirit, Christ's spirit, we might say, the Holy Spirit. These are the threads that he's going to pick up uh, in this passage. Firstly, have you lost your marbles? Verses chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What are you doing? What's happened? Have you lost your marbles? I would, he goes on to say this because did you receive the spirit in verse two by the works of the law or by believing what you had heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Our three themes are woven together in all this. Paul has asked them, can't you remember how you started? It wasn't by doing this and doing that. It wasn't by the Mosaic law, obeying this and obeying that. He said miracles were done amongst them. Of course, the Spirit has brought them new life. And so why are you bothering with that word, we don't like to say up the front too much, circumcision? Is the law, verse 5, responsible or the spirit? So again, I ask, verse 5, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you've heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Exhibit A, the Holy Spirit. Paul wants them to work it out for themselves. It's by faith, by believing God, that is the key. This is just as it's always been. Genesis uh, chapter 14, 
just as Abraham did. He believed it and was credited to him as righteousness. It's basically Paul trumping the people who have come with the law. He's using the greatest figure of them all, Abraham, the originator whom God made a covenant with. He began with faith. Faith trumps all. It's not do this and do that. It was his faith placed which God gave him and it was credited to him as righteous. He's saying this is true blue theology. It had nothing to do with keeping or obeying Moses' law and he's amazed that they could miss this, that the Galatians are now turning to something else. They've forgotten what should have been as plain as the nose on their face. Faith is key. Paul says, don't give up. Stay with faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Secondly, from verse chapter 3, verse 7 to 14, I've entitled this True Blue. But the first point is when you're on a good thing, stick to it. You did, some of you knew that. Anyone else know that? Anyone remember that? You do? You wish I hadn't said it? Fair enough. Understand then, verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Here in Genesis, the prominent promises to Abraham was that he would be, this people would be a blessing to all the nations. And here it is. All the nations have come and they came because of Abraham and faith. Faith is the key. God promised and he has done. And in Jesus, he has fulfilled that covenant and by faith in Jesus, we need to stick to it. This promise is now ours, he's saying. You'd have to be a few sandwiches short of a picnic to do anything else. Joyce had no recognition with that. Secondly, second point is the law brings a curse, and I, I didn't really have a, a good thing for that. Uh, chapter 3, 10 to 14, he's saying, Cursed is everyone who does not continue, continue to do everything written in the book of, law, of the law, which is a saying from Gen uh, sorry, De De Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. There's a, there is a saying, one in, all in. It's a little bit different. With the law, miss one, miss the lot. With the law, if you don't keep it perfectly, you don't come up smelling of roses. You break one command, you've broken the lot. It's a house of cards. It all falls down. That's what Paul's trying to make the point. 
And that's why Jesus' coming is so special. It's because, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Jesus came and fulfilled that for us. He took the punishment and the penalty for our sin. Our law-breaking was taken by him upon himself after he kept it perfectly like we couldn't do. He fulfilled it. He has taken on us and he did that so that we might go scot-free. Thirdly, he says in verse chapter 3, 15 to 18, he says wills can't be changed. He uses an example from everyday life from verse 15. No one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. A will cannot be added to or annulled once it's ratified. He's saying once the die is cast, there it is. What he means is that the promise to Abraham was 430 years until the law was given. The law is not an amendment, nor is it an annulment. I don't know how youth have always thought about the law, but some people could think, well, there was the promise in Abraham, and then he gave them Moses the law, which is like an amendment. Paul was saying no. Rather, the promise is still by grace that the law didn't change anything. The law, he has another answer for that, which we're about to get to it. And so you, it sounds like he's very anti-law, and that sort of is true in this. And so the question comes in verses 19 to 22, okay, if you're going to be so anti-law, how does the law, that's our fourth point, how does the law get a Guernsey? Anyone like that one? No. Why the law at all? Where does it fit in? Does it clash with the promise, verse 21? Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Paul answers, absolutely not. That's a typical answer. Why the law? The law had a necessary temporary role to play. That's his answer. It's not an annulment. It's not an amendment. It's actually, verse 24, a guardian. The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. He's saying the faith, Abraham came by faith, the promise was given. The law was given as a guardian to help us until Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law and that guardian has been removed because now we have faith in Jesus, who has fulfilled all those things and is the inheritor, that covenant has continued in him. The true way for Abraham's seed is in the Lord Jesus 
And we come by trusting and obeying and believing. The law was a guardian, and that guardianship is now over. Verse 7 of chapter 4, which I realize is outside of what we read. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. We've moved to a special place in Jesus. We are heirs, inheritors of all things. That famous chapter 3, verse 18, uh, sorry, 28, chapter 3, 28 and 29, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. It's important that we understand the promises have been given to us as heirs. This part of the Bible, I, I don't mind using inclusive language, you may have noticed. It's very important that this is not one of those parts because Jesus, we are all, it says, verse 26, you are all sons of God. The reason why it says sons of God is because in the culture, only the sons, and I apologize, but that's the culture, only in the son, only the sons were given an inheritance. The gospel message is you are all sons of God. Jesus, the son, has given you male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, free. You are all heirs of God's covenant blessings in him. Very important. Verse five, uh, sorry, sorry, point five, an appeal in chapter four, verse eight to 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves. But now that you know God, or are rather known by God, how is it you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Paul's appeal is to grab all that he's been saying and apply it to them. Get it together. Stop playing with fire. Get dinky die. True blue means flying straight navigating a right course, I fear I've been wasting my time, he fears. It's really, it's all this theology has been written because his, his care and of his love, he doesn't want to lose them and they are in danger because that's what the opponents are trying to do, drag them away from him and this message. It's setting themselves up. If they keep going this way, to go the wrong play. They're going, the Lord is serving up a feast and they want a famine. And so he says in chapter 4, verse 12, I plead with you, become like me, for I became like you. He's not egotistical here. What he's saying is he was a Jew and he became like them, living in the freedom of faith, and now they want to go the other way. Please become like me. Stay this way. 
chapter 4, verse 17, those detractors are serious. They're zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's a very painful letter. And Paul says uh, in chapter 19, verse 19 to 20, how painful it is. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. There's always a pastoral reason behind Paul's letters. It's serious. Paul wants them to know, chapter 3, verse 7, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. This covenant started with Abraham by faith, credited to him as righteousness, has been fulfilled in Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 7, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Faith is the way. Christ is the way. Grace, this free gift, is everything. He wants them to take this to heart and glory to God alone. For us, the same is true. This is message is very key even to us as we think about how do I get, where do I go with God? Do, what do I have to do? John Piper says, God is the gospel. I think he says that for a good reason, because in Genesis chapter 15, when that covenant was made with Abraham, you might remember the animal was divided and the pieces were put to the side. And in the culture, what would happen is if there was a covenant between you and I, I would go up and down between the pieces and then you would, and we would make promises to keep the covenant that we're making to each other. And what we were doing is saying, if I don't keep my promises to you, Bill, I may I be like these animals, this animal. May I end up like this. I will do what I say. And then you would do the same to me. In Genesis chapter 15, it is only God who goes between the pieces. And he does that because only he can keep the covenant. Humans can't obey. They can't do these things. The law, I can't follow the law. I haven't got a hope. Jesus fulfilled the law. He kept the covenant for you. He fulfilled it. And as God said in Genesis 15, I will do it. Grace alone. Glory to God alone. We know that by scripture, and we read that alone, Christ alone, grace alone, by faith alone. That's true glory. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we... Uh, there's a lot going on, and it's a little bit confusing probably, but what we need to realise is that you've done it all for us. We pray that we might have faith in Jesus and him alone. What a great message it is that we wonder how we'll be with you. Well, you have taken care of that for us. Jesus came and lived perfectly for us, fulfilled the law. He was obedient to you. And then he stood in and died in our place. 
He took the death which comes from sin. He didn't deserve that, but he did that for us. You have done that for us in him. It is the fulfillment of the promises that you made long ago to Abraham. And those promises to bless us have come in Jesus. And we, by faith, have taken those promises and believed you. We've believed you because you have asked us to do so. We pray that we would continue that way. We ask, Lord, if we haven't made that change, Lord, you would waken in us. Your spirit, help us and reassure us that by your love, you have saved us. We place our trust in that. We ask that you would come into our lives and renew us, refresh us, regenerate us, continue to sanctify us by your spirit. And we will be people who have begun by your spirit and nothing else. And your grace and mercy alone and glory to you alone we pray. Amen.